Good morning, Hope Ankeny. My name is Ashley Lentz. I'm one of your pastors here. Uh, We're going to try something a little bit different this morning. We're going to take three minutes of stillness before God, okay? When I, my parents are Saturday night churchgoers, and so last night they were here, and I told them, yeah, we're starting with three minutes of stillness, and my dad literally went, ugh. So if that's what you're thinking, that is really okay. It's okay to feel that way. This might make you slightly uncomfortable, and uncomfortable is good. We grow outside of our comfort zones, and I'm here to talk you through it so you know exactly what to expect. We are jumping into a sermon series about the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment is all about letting God be God. Some of the ways we can let God be God is to hang out with him, to be still in his presence. So what we're going to do for the next three minutes, you're going to hear the Bible reading. You'll hear the first commandment read. You can, you know, marinate on that a little bit during our stillness time. But I'm going to utilize the pause app is what it's called. It's an app by John Eldridge. We did a book study of his a couple years ago, uh, Hope Wide, and we're using his three-minute pause. And so it's not just complete silence for three minutes. You'll hear him narrate. There's some music in the background. Uh, we'll take deep breaths in and out at the beginning, and then you'll hear some truths about God. You'll hear some scripture readings through those three minutes. So I just want this to be a time for you to enjoy, to be still, and be present with God. Let's give it a try. Good morning. The Bible reading for today comes from Exodus 20, 1 through 6. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I... The Lord your God am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. This is the word of our Lord. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. What do you need to let go of? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. 
Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. I love you. I believe you. I worship you. Restore our union, Lord. Heal and restore our union. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray for more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. I pray the river of life would fill me, restore me, renew me, surround me. I need more of you, God. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. That's good. That's enough for now. That's good. That's enough for now. I wonder how you felt during those three minutes. Maybe you thought, whoa, I really needed that, and I didn't know I needed that. Perhaps you thought that was really weird. I'm not sure I ever need that again. That's okay, too. I've been doing that. Part of our emotionally healthy spirituality class is spending quiet time with God. And so for twice a day, for four minutes a day, we ask the participants of the class to be still, to be silent with God. Uh, I've been utilizing the Pause app to do that, to be still and, and silent with God. We're kicking off this sermon series, How to Do Life, Ten Commandments in Nine Weeks. And the first commandment is all about letting God be God being still with God, sitting in truths about who God is and who he says you are. So I hope that filled up your bucket a little bit. But as we get started, we have to ask ourselves, before we even dive into this sermon series, do the Ten Commandments even still apply to me today? Do they actually really matter for my life? Uh, the Ten Commandments are found in the Old Testament, the Old Scripture. Uh, we, we talk about this being the Jewish Scripture. It's God's Scripture to his chosen people, the Israelites. And there's a ton of laws in here, including the Ten Commandments. Uh, but we talk about the New Testament kind of as the Scripture that Christians are bound to. And often we'll talk about how um, we're not really bound to the Old Testament law, the hundreds and hundreds of laws that God lays out for his chosen people. So what about the Ten Commandments? Do they still apply to me? The answer is yes, and perhaps not in the way you think. Uh, Jesus says that he has come to fulfill the Old Testament law. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus fulfilled the entirety of what the law laid out. So yes, we are, the Ten Commandments are still for us, and Jesus fulfilled them. Uh, in uh, Mark's gospel, Mark records Jesus teaching about these things. And one of the religious leaders says to Jesus, I like your answers, but can you tell me what's the most important commandment? This is somebody who would have known the Ten Commandments really well by heart. And he asks Jesus, do these really still matter now that you're here? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus replies to him, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
No other commandment is greater than these. This is the most important commandment. Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Do the Ten Commandments still apply to me? Yes. And as we dive into the next nine weeks, I don't know what commandment we're leaving out. Just kidding. We're not leaving any of them out. But uh, I think we're combining a couple of them at some point. Uh, As we jump into the next nine weeks, you will see that the first three commandments are all about loving God. And the next seven commandments are all about loving others well. In the pause that we just did together, you heard the phrase, I need more of you, God. Isn't that the first commandment summed up? (laughs) I need more of you, God. I wonder if you could all use more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, more grace, more forgiveness. All good things come from God. We just sang that. If every good thing comes from God, could you use more of God in your life? I think we could all affirm, yes, I would take more of that good stuff. But often we turn to other things for more. We find more in the busyness of our schedule. We think if I'm busy, then I would be, then I would be fulfilled. If I have more money, that would do it for me. I'd have more security, more safety. If I could fix this relationship or have a better relationship, that that would bring more for me. Really, what we all need is more of God if every good thing comes from God. And it's in the context of, of God protecting his people, of giving them freedom, of showing them that more comes from him, that he gives them the Ten Commandments. If you remember, God is leading his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. They've been enslaved for a really long time. And he appoints Moses to lead them out of that slavery. So Moses does. And he says, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before you ever enter the promised land. And right after they've left Egypt, God gives them these rules to live by. If you want to flip with me to Exodus chapter 20, that's where we'll start. And I find it fascinating how God actually gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He doesn't begin with, here are my commands and list them. He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, before he gives them any of the commandments, he reminds them who he is and what he's just done. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you out of your slavery. As far as I know, none of us are enslaved to a people group around us. But I wonder what might be under the surface that we actually are enslaved to. It's in our context today that God steps into that and says, I'm your rescuer. I'm going to release you from anything that you might be enslaved to. Here's how I'm going to do that. Where is it that you're turning to get more? I wonder if that's something you might be enslaved to that you didn't even realize. What if slavery is where we go to get more that isn't God? What if slavery is where we go to get more that isn't God. God steps into that place and he says, I'm rescuing you from that. You are no longer bound to those things that pull you away from me, those things that you think will give you more and they won't. Let me be God in your life. Slavery sounds like, if I could just fill in the blank, then I would have, I would feel, I would be fill in the blank. If I could just get that job promotion, Then I would have more money and I would feel safe and secure. 
If I could just fix that relationship or be in control of that problem in my life, then I would feel worthy. Then I would feel like I'm enough. Isn't this slavery? It's really subtle. It kind of pulls at us slowly, but forcefully, pulls us straight away from God. We think that we can be God in our life, and we can't. It's in the context of the Israelite slavery and in the context of our slavery that God says, let me be God. Let me give you the more that you need. So the first commandment begins this way. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. You must not bow down to them or worship them. I don't think the things that we are enslaved to are similar to what the things that the Israelites were enslaved to, okay? They actually were bowing down to icons or things, or they actually worshiped other gods. As Christians, we don't, maybe we don't do that. I hope that we don't do that. If you do, don't do that. That's what this is saying, right? But subtly, what are the things that we actually worship and don't even realize it? What are the things that we've made gods in our life of and don't even realize it. It's the places we go to get more. Martin Luther has something to say, to say about this in the large catechism. He talks about what a God is. He says, a God is the term for that to which we are to look for all good and in which we are to find refuge in all need. Therefore, to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe in that one with your whole heart. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, that is really your God. It's where we look for all good and find refuge in all need. It's where you trust and believe with your whole heart. The thing that your heart relies upon, that is really your God. Last weekend, Pastor Scott preached on seeking God wholeheartedly, taking all of our feelings, taking all of our stuff to God. He uh, quoted uh, a song lyric. I think it's a song from the 80s, but I wasn't alive then, so I'm, I can't be certain. Uh, I, I can't remember the detail. <laughs> I get to do that when I preach. Oh, it's so much fun. Um, he, he, it's a song lyric. Everybody's always looking for something. Everybody's always looking for something. That seems to be true, and it seems to be that we're enslaved to some of those things. What are you looking for that's not giving you more? Where you're not fully relying, you're looking for all good and all need. You're trusting and believing in something with your whole heart that isn't God. It won't fill you up. We have to allow God to be God. That's what the first commandment is all about. Letting God be God. And when we get this right, when we allow God to be God, it gives God room to show up in miraculous and abundant ways. When we get this right, God breaks through all the stuff in our life with miracles, with abundance, with blessings that we can't even count. That is his truth for you this morning. There are blessings and abundance that you can't even count when we let God be God. Yes, please, sign me up. That sounds great. <clears throat> this is how the first commandment ends in Exodus. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. That blessing is yours. Now, so I was prepping this sermon. I've known for a while that I was preaching on the first commandment. And I thought, easy, let God be God. And then I thought, oh, 
There's some stuff in here we don't like to talk about. God's jealous, and he's going to lay the sins of parents on their kids. Let's sweep that under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist in the first commandment. We can't do that. We actually need to talk about this for a minute. When we hear that God is a jealous God who doesn't tolerate our affection elsewhere, we think negatively of that. We hear the word jealous, and we think that's not a good trait. You want God to be jealous for you. It's a really good thing that we worship a God who is jealous for us. He loves you so much. He cares for you so much that he doesn't tolerate us worshiping other stuff. He knows it will not give you what you need. The Hebrew word jealous is also translated zealous. God is so zealous for you that he won't tolerate our worship anywhere else. He won't tolerate us having other gods. Perhaps you could think about it this way. If you've ever had a friend or a relative, somebody close to you that you love a lot, who is maybe living in a way that's unhealthy to them, they are hurting themselves by the way that they're living, and you see it, and you've tried to walk alongside them in that, you've tried to help them in that, you've tried to outlet them to other help, and eventually there, there comes a time where you have to draw a boundary around that relationship, and you say, I cannot watch you hurt yourself anymore, or live in a way that hurts you. I will not watch it because I love you way too much to watch this happen to you. That's what God is saying. I love you way too much to watch you live in a way that I know will not bring you life. It's a really good thing that God is jealous for us. I want God to be jealous for me. And he is. He loves you so much, he doesn't tolerate our affection for other gods. And then we get to the sentence, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The whole family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And this is really where we're like, peace out. I think I'm going to focus on the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Old Testament. They're the same. As I was wrestling with this this week, I had Pastor Scott help me with some Hebrew. He's really smart when it comes to Hebrew. And uh, this, I lay the sins of the parents. Um, other translations say, I punish the sins of the parents. And again, we hear that and we're like, no thanks. Not my God. <clears throat> the Hebrew there is very relational. It's very relational. What God is saying is not a prescription. Uh, when you go to the pharmacy to get a prescription, it, it tells you what to take and how to take it and how long to take it. That's a prescription. God is not prescribing what he's going to do to your kids if you fall short. God is describing what happens when we don't get this right. When we don't let God be God in our life, the effects of that go on for generations. In the Emotionally Healthy class, uh, we're reading this book. The chapter that we just finished this week is called Going Back in Order to Go Forward. And it takes a really hard look at our families of origin and our cultures of origin. And we identify, uh, we call them the Ten Commandments of your family. The things that your family or your culture taught you that are perhaps not biblical, and perhaps not healthy. And as you do that work to go back, to look at some of those generational things, it is amazing what you'll see actually trace through a few generations. It's biblical. Things like lying, it's normal in our family. Anger, total normal thing. Un unmanaged anger. Anger is a normal emotion. Don't hear me saying anger is bad. Anger is a normal emotion, but unmanaged anger can be dangerous. Abuse. Addiction, divorce, broken relationships. If your mind's turning a little bit, 
I bet you can trace those for a couple generations. God warns us, when you don't get this right, when I am not the God of your life, it's going to have effects. It's going to follow you for a little bit. We have to own our stuff, is what I call this. An example of this in, in my life is perfectionism. That is a cultural thing that I learned, that what I achieved, what I could do, was who I was. If I was a really good student, if I was a really good athlete, if I achieved, then I was worthy. That's cultural, not biblical. But if I don't deal with that as an adult, that will certainly be the message that my kids learn from me. Not healthy. We have to own these things a little bit and say, wow, there are things I learned from the culture or the family I grew up in that are not healthy. And I'm going to release those. I'm going to give them to God, and I'm going to let God be God in my life. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Please do not leave and call your parents and say, you messed me up. I have to deal with your stuff. Uh, we have to take responsibility for these things. Certainly, we live in a fallen world. I, I'm sure all of our parents did the best they could. But the reality is, when we don't let God be God, there are repercussions for that. Here's the best part, though. The end of the first commandment is a promise. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Unfailing love for more generations than you can count for those who love him and obey his commands. That is your blessing to claim this morning. This has been done for you. You get to claim unfailing love for you and your family and your family's family in Jesus' name because it's been done for you. As I read this sentence, um, we, he lavishes unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I thought, that kind of sounds like a checklist. I have to love God and obey his commands. And then I thought, that's not the gospel at all. It's not a checklist. Uh, this law and gospel paradigm is, is a Lutheran thing. I think Pastor Scott preached on it a few weeks ago. Um, <clears throat> law says, do this, then I will provide for you. That's very Old Testament. Do this, and then I will provide for you. That's how God kept his people a holy nation. Follow my rules, and then it will be good. The story of the whole Old Testament is that God's people couldn't get that right. Uh, they tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. That's what the Old Testament is. Enter Jesus and the New Testament. Jesus steps on earth so that we don't have to check the boxes anymore, so that faith isn't a to-do list, so that we aren't actually bound to the Old Testament law, as in check the boxes. The gospel says Jesus has done all the work for you to experience his blessings. Those generational blessings, that unfailing love, you don't do any work to earn that. Thank you, Lord. It's done for you. What we get to do is choose to embrace them. Will you live in a way that embraces those blessings? That does require a little bit of work. You're not doing the work to earn the blessing. It's already yours. But to embrace it, to live in a way that acknowledges those generational blessings are mine and my family's, we do have to do some work. How do we embrace those blessings? Number one, this is the hard one. There's always a hard one. Number one, Acknowledge our complicity in the choices we make that land us in slavery. Acknowledge our complicity in the choices we make that land us in slavery. I choose every day 
to try to harmonize the world around me, to try to be a peacemaker. Sometimes that's a really good thing. Sometimes the root of that is control and fear of conflict, honestly. That's me trying to be God in my life in a small but kind of serious way. And if I don't deal with that, that will be passed on to my kids. My kids will think that control is a good thing. It's not. It's God's. I affectionately call this owning our stuff. We can no longer walk around saying, that's not really my stuff to deal with. That's really the stuff of my friends or my parents or the culture. I don't really have a problem with that. If there are broken relationships around you, if there are struggles that you know of, you play a role in that. Out of love, hear me out of love, we have to own this stuff in order to let God be God in our life. We have to take a little bit of responsibility that we've gotten it wrong sometimes, that we're not perfect people. Here's the best news. You're not alone in this. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. You're all already righteous before God if your faith is in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Uh, in our class on Thursdays, one of the sentences in that book that a participant in the class said, this really stuck out to me this week. The sentence is, um, many of us know what it's like to be praised for what we do. Few of us know what it's like to have unconditional love. For our value to be in simply who we are. And her comment about that was, I felt really good reading that because I realized I wasn't alone. If few of us know what it's like to receive unconditional love, to not be praised for what we do, she said, I feel good knowing I'm not alone in that. So what I want you to hear, if we have to acknowledge our complicity, if we have to own our stuff in order to really embrace the fullness of life that God has for us, you don't do that alone. In fact, please don't do that alone. That's a scary place to be. We do this in community. We do this with trusted friends and mentors, spiritual leaders, maybe a counselor or a therapist. Those are really good things. As you start to reckon with your stuff, things might bubble up a little bit. Get some help with that. Let us help you with that. And know that you're not alone in these things. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We work at these things daily. Again, not to earn his blessings. They're already there for us but to embrace the fullness of what that means in our life. How else do we embrace God's blessings? Number two, we take an honest look at where our time and resources are going. We take an honest look at where our time and resources are going. Where we put our time, where we put our resources, says a lot about what a God is in our life. If a God is something to which we turn for all good and to which we find all of our need, is your time or your resources are they going to things that you think will provide for your needs? That's not always a bad thing. We should provide for our families in a healthy way. But if you take an honest look at that and you say, I am not putting my time into my relationship with God. It's maybe a warning that we're not really letting God be God in our life. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he says, store up treasures in heaven 
Don't store up treasures on earth where worldly things can destroy them. Store up treasures in heaven where they're eternally there for you. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. When we let God be God, we give him our time. We give him our resources. I do the pause app a couple minutes a day. Six minutes is the stillness that I spend with God in a day. In 24 hours, granted, I'm sleeping some of that time, but in 24 hours, six minutes sure doesn't seem like that's a good use of my time. Seems like I could be spending a lot more time investing in a treasure that's in heaven. Really letting God be God in my life means I give my time to him and my resources to him. Number three, how do we embrace God's blessings for our life? We make room for God to be God. We get out of our own way. We work on our stuff. We look at where our time and resources are going. And really all that amounts to is making room for God to be God. When we allow God to be God, he pours out blessings and miracles like we could never imagine. So much abundance. But we have to get out of the way. Make room for God to be God. One of the phrases you heard in our pause time was, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to let go of? What is clogging up your relationship with God or your relationships with others? Is it unforgiveness? Is it unhealthy boundaries? Is it control? What do you need to let go of so that God can really be the God in your life. We're going to take communion in a couple minutes, and uh, then we'll sing a couple songs. And the song that we end with, we sang it last week if you were here. The song that we're ending with is called Make Room. And it's an invitation. It's a surrender. We sing out, I will make room for you. And I want that, if that needs to be sung over you, let that be sung over you so you can just soak in that. And if you want to claim that as your truth this morning, that you're going to make room for God, that you're ready to let God be God in your life because we don't do it very well ourselves, I want you to belt that out. It's loud in here. People won't hear you, I promise. Sing as loud as you need to that you will make room for him. Claim that as your truth. One last quote from Martin Luther. He has something to say about what it means to really let God be God in our life. He says, you lay hold of God when your heart grasps him and clings to him. To cling to him with your heart is nothing else than to entrust yourself to him completely. He wishes to turn us away from everything else apart from him and to draw us to himself because he is the one eternal good. You lay hold of God when you cling to him, when your heart grasps him. You have so entrusted yourself to him completely. You know his truth for your life. You claim his blessings for your own. Paxton is at a really fun stage in life. He's nine months old. And when he needs something, he can crawl. He's trying to like walk. It's crazy how fast they grow up. Anyway, when he needs something, he'll, he'll crawl to me and sit right in front of my feet and put his arms up and look at me. And so I'll, it's the cutest thing in the world. And so I'll scoop him up and he'll throw his arms around my neck and he'll grab my shirt and he'll nestle his little head in and we can just embrace each other. He knows that I'll provide for him. What if, if every time you needed something, you put your arms out and surrender 
and you waited for your heavenly father to pick you up and you could grab on with complete certainty that he was going to provide for you, that all the more that you need is actually found in him, that's yours. You get to cling to God as if your life depended on it because it does. There is nothing else that will fill you up. There is nothing else that will give you life the way that God does. So we have to make room for God to be God. We have to get out of our way. We have to own our stuff a little bit. And we get to embrace the blessings that are already ours. They're already yours. Generations of unfailing love, more than you can count. You get to claim that this morning. A really great time to reset in life is the fall. It's like a clean house time. Um, you know, we just get to the reset button, pumpkin spice latte time. It's a great time of life. So if you are thinking, I need a little bit of a reset, I need to reclaim or claim God as God of my life, as you come forward in communion, let that be your reset. God promises to encounter you in the, the bread and the wine or the juice. He says he is truly present in those things. It's a promise that he encounters you. So let him encounter you tangibly. Let this be a moment where you say, God is God of my life, and I'm resetting the button. I'm going to work not to earn the blessings. I'm going to work so that I can embrace them, so that I can know them to be true. We get to do this as community as we come forward together. It was on the night Jesus was betrayed. He was eating with his closest friends, his followers. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Eat this and remember me when you eat it. And later in the meal, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's poured out for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this and remember me when you drink it. Let's stand and pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.